You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello. It's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. How is everyone doing? We are back for another amazing episode. Today's guest is Erica Chidi. She's an author. She wrote Nurture, a modern guide to pregnancy. She was formerly a doula, and now she is the co-founder, so she's in startup world, of Loom, which is a new platform around well-being and empowering women through sexual and reproductive health. Erica is someone who's passionate about people better understanding their bodies and giving us the tools we need to advocate for our own health. I talked to her about how our menstrual cycles affect our skin, how we should be eating differently before and around our period, if we should be eating differently before and during our period. I learned so much from our conversation, but it was also just really great to get to know her and to hear about her experience of beauty and how she learned about beauty growing up. I also asked her about her signature locks. I love people that have a consistent approach to their hair. And I think it's something I'm so fascinated by because I'm always changing my hair. Right now, I have got a slicked down ponytail. We were all laughing on the Naked Beauty Planet Instagram that the look was achieved without the use of Gorilla Glue, which prayers up for Tessica. At the time of recording, all of the glue has been removed from her hair so we can all exhale. I am so happy that that situation resolved. I was truly losing sleep at night. Anyway, back to my conversation with Erica. You know, when you talk to people and you just feel like an instant connection, like she and I have so much in common when it comes to the types of beauty products we like. We both love a natural super high quality, really ethically sourced, rich and fragrant oil. So when she turned me on to this new line, Caprice, which I had not heard of before, I was super intrigued. And as she was describing the products during our interview, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like this is something I need to own. Fast forward, they actually sent me their products and I can confirm they are amazing. There is this one body oil that they sell. It's like a green oil. It's so rich. We talk about it in the episode, so you guys will hear more, but it's like heavenly on the body. I have linked to the products she mentions in the show notes, but I love when my listeners turn me on to new brands. 
because I think I'm like this beauty know-it-all. I've like seen it all, used it all. What else is there? And you know, my guests continue to amaze me. They turn me on to new products all the time. And I'm forever grateful to them for that. I hope you guys love this episode. I hope you guys learn new things about your bodies. I've certainly reflected since this episode on how much I was willing to not know about the inner mechanisms of my body and how I really just need to do better and educate myself more. I'm really excited for Loom to launch in winter of 2021. I will certainly be setting up for those courses because I just think it's so important that we understand how our bodies work so we can better serve our bodies. Erica is amazing. I'm so grateful she came on. Stay tuned, guys, to the end of this episode to hear my listener question. We talked last episode about how I was going to do listener questions and you guys came through with some great questions. And this one is all about someone who is transitioning to natural hair. She's got some hair questions, hair problems. I am here to help. That will be after my discussion with Erica. Thank you guys so much for listening. Rate and subscribe to the podcast if you are not subscribed. Naked Beauty Planet on Instagram. And I'm at Brooke DeVard on all social platforms. All right, let's get into my conversation with Erica. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Erica, I am so excited to have you on Naked Beauty. I've admired your work for so long and I have just so many questions for you that I don't know if we're going to even be able to cover within the hour. (laughs) I do want to start with how you grew up because you grew up in the United States and in South Africa. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious kind of like what differences or similarities you noticed when it came to beauty. Well, firstly, I'm so happy to be here. I love this podcast and it's always really well I, I don't even want to say it's always really because it's not that often but it's wonderful to talk to another black woman about beauty in this type of space so thank you for having me yeah so interestingly the beauty thing it's it has a certain flavor for me in the sense that my mom is very 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 light i would describe her as like deep, very fair. Like in in some sense, you would look at me and look at my mom and, and you'd be like, Oh, like, I know that's your mom, but you don't have the same skin tone really at all. I mean, I have a lot of yellow undertones in my skin, but my mom is light and freckly. And so growing up in terms of beauty, my mom was very sensitive to how much 
you know, sun exposure I had in a way that I wouldn't really have maybe been as concerned about on my own. My dad is more kind of like my tone and my mom not really knowing much better. I feel like now we know that bleaching creams and all of that are not something that we're going to utilize. But, you know, in Nigeria, like bleaching creams are very much a part of life. I think only recently Unilever has pulled a lot of those products from the shelf, but skin tone or the fixation on that definitely was something that was a part of my growing up experience and not in a negative way. My, My mom never made me feel bad about it at all. It was more that it was such a clear difference between her and I, that wasn't something that we could pretend wasn't there. So the way that she would treat her skin and the way that I kind of needed to treat my skin were a little different. Like my dad's side of the family has a lot of acne and a lot of hertzterism or hertz, hertz I can never say this word properly, but it's like when there is a lot of hair around areas that are influenced by your sex organs. So your chin, belly button, Uh, bikini line, we just insanely hairy. My mom doesn't have any hair really around those areas. So yeah, it was, you know, your, your mother is kind of your beauty archetype when you're growing up. And so so her and I have a lot of differences. It definitely, I think encouraged me to kind of like find my own way around what I considered to be beautiful because I couldn't exactly emulate my mom Mm -hmm. down to the specificity that I could have if my mom and I looked exactly alike. Because some women are like, me and my mom look so similar. I would say my mom and I have very similar bone structure, but not much more similarity beyond those pieces in terms of like what we should be doing and how we navigate kind of our beauty routines. Like my mom loves like a coral lipstick, like, and it looks fire on her. (laughs) Coral lipstick on me. No, honey. Like, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like my face is on fire. You know, it's just like so bright, but she can pull off just like things, but I love a red lip. Like that's cool, but they're just, you know, things that she could different undertones. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually such a great question. Like I never had really thought about it in terms of, but my mom gave me other beauty rituals that were beyond skin and, or that were more than skin deep, you know, for lack of a better phrase. My mom is very tactile and really taught me early, like how to bathe myself and how to, you know, use an exfoliator scrub over my whole body. And like, literally showed me how to put on like lotion and oil. She was like, okay, you do it like this. And then, okay, you do it to me and I'll do it to you. And so like, there were other ways that she would model. This is how you do things to me, honestly, they're more important when it comes to beauty, because it's like beauty for me. And and I know for you is, is more than skin deep. And so I feel really blessed that she was so focused teaching how to be with my body. I wanted to ask you, Erica, that where you grew up in the States, because I feel like that has a really big impact on beauty and how you experience beauty. So we moved around quite a bit. My dad was finishing medical school in Illinois and Urbana when I was born. So we were there for a little while. And then we were in California and Riverside and then in Palm Beach Gardens in Florida for a little bit. 
So I would say kind of those formative preteen years were kind of in Florida. And then mostly in South Africa is really where I started purchasing beauty products and, you know, and trying out different things. But, you know, my mom was very into holistic remedies and, you know, making your own DIY energy and still holds on to certain things pretty tightly to this day that she won't stop using, even if they like aren't the best thing. Like, you know, she swears by Vaseline. That is just like you you're know using Vaseline on our skin. <laughs> But so many people and even people that are estheticians and know a ton about skincare swear by like a layer of Vaseline on their skin at night to lock everything in. It's not for me. Yes. It's not the beauty tip for me, but people... Sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. I think there's just being super nerdy. I'm sure there's something about the molecular structure of petroleum jelly that it just creates a really tight seal that isn't something that can be like mimicked in a product that doesn't have petroleum in it, you know? And I think also interestingly too, thinking about my mom and her beauty routines, but my mom was really focused on dental hygiene, really focused on self-massage and like lotioning, really focused on like braiding. So hair was definitely one of the ways that like her and I would get to indulge in the same thing. So she obviously braided my hair growing up, but then we would go get our braids done together and be sitting side by side, getting the braiding done. Especially when we would go home to Nigeria, I remember how much of our kind of winter vacation time was spent me sitting on the floor in our compound and having my hair braided <laughs> and being sad <laughs> because it hurt. <laughs> and it took so much time. It took so much time, especially when you're younger. You're like, do I really have to sit here all day? Yeah. And I'm just like, I have other things I want to do. And I remember there's this like certain braiding style where they'll pull out your, well, it's actually not a braiding style, but it's like a, you know, I would say, I guess like a, protective style where they kind of like pull out a strand and then take this black wool and like tie it around yeah like I guess it's what it would be called like threading and then you know you just have these like long probably maybe like 10 or 15 of them and I remember you know back then being like I don't like this like (laughs) feeling not feeling like I want to have my hair my you know my braids kind of coming down my body and you know be long but you know now I kind of miss that. Like, I wish I could kind of do that now, but I I locked my hair so many years ago. So that's not going to be happening for me. But your locks are such a signature. And I'm so curious about people that have these signature looks. And it's so funny. I feel like in the past week, I've absorbed so many interviews that you've done and like written interviews with you. It's so funny. They're they're always like locks, Bob. (laughs) It's like every writer like comments on like, chin grazing locks like so is this like you know how people have like their signature looks do you feel like your locks are like part of your signature look and at this length specifically a thousand percent I mean I do not see it changing it was also very intentional you know I my hair grows I'm super hairy so my hair grows fast but I noticed psychically I felt different when it was at this bob length Mm. and I also noticed that it wasn't something that a lot of other people had in terms of just a lock look. And I think for a lot of people, there is like a deep spiritual connection around just the length of your locks and like what your locks um, represent. 
And for me, the spiritual piece is like, you're always shedding, you're always changing. And so I love the ritual of like every six to at the most 10 weeks of cutting my hair and just being like, all right, and we're back, you know? And like, there's something, there's a movement to the fact that it is always being cut. And I move fast in my life, but with intention. So like my hair is a representation of how I move in my life. I like it short, clear to the point, but it's definitely doing something and it's memorable and it doesn't weigh me down. And that's like a whole thing for me. And I'm also very sensitive. We just talked about this at the top of this conversation, like certain textures, certain weight feels better or worse or can be super activating for me. And I notice like not having hair on my shoulders feels really good. And also having hair kind of away from my face feels really good for me too, as opposed to having like a side parting, like just having hair on my face all day would feel really distracting. So there's like a couple different layers to it. I definitely am a person that has like almost everything in my life has some type of metric or, you know, rule or story behind it. So yeah, that's, that's my hair thing. (laughs) It's a perfect signature look. Um, Thank you. I'll talk to you about Loom, which I think is just incredible and so needed. But before we even talk about Loom or even your experience as a doula, I know that you got a culinary degree first. And I do want to talk a little bit about kind of like food and nutrition and how that influences your work today. But also like, are there certain foods that we should be eating depending on where we are in our cycle or how we want to feel. Um, Because that's something that I feel like often gets overlooked in the beauty conversation. We're so focused on what moisturizer should I be putting on? Like what, you know, what should I buy basically to feel better, to look better? But yeah, so it's funny that we kicked off talking about my mom and I was talking about this whole thing about my mom's kind of outlook on things around beauties and the fact that it's, for her, beauty is more than just skin deep. It's the same thing with food. I think that food is that foundational step. And I think a lot of women struggle with food, struggle with control issues around food, feel a lot of restriction around food, maybe don't have the life skills of how to even cook food well enough to be able to enjoy it, which I think the pandemic, I think, for some people has kind of like pushed them to upscale and figure that out or has, if it hasn't changed the the behavior or made them do that, it's just made them get clearer about what their relationship looks like with food. So for me, in terms of eating, I take a very intuitive approach to food in the sense that I'm an omnivore. I eat a little bit of everything other than the things I'm allergic to, like I'm allergic to peanuts I don't do raw onions, raw garlic. Like those are just things in my system that are just too bright and kind of make me lose focus, which I think actually is maybe not something that everyone experiences. But what I would invite people to do is just notice how food makes you feel and really understand that like food, although it's no longer living by the time you eat it, it has a soul. It has a molecular structure. It's doing things in your body. So just taking inventory of like, I was hungry. I ate a plum. How do I feel after I ate this plum? Like, do I feel the same 
beyond feeling full or not, not that one plum will make you full. I mean, come on, but you know, do you feel like that felt good or did it feel like my stomach's feeling tight or aggravated? So I think that not even thinking about calories or like watching what you eat, I think, unfortunately, our culture has done a really poor job of really focusing on that component of like watching what you eat. When I encourage anyone to watch what they eat, it's more, how does it make you feel in your body? And does it make you feel good? And if it makes you feel good, truly good, not just like sugar high or like a big rush, but it actually just makes you feel more content in your body. That's the type of thing that you want to be eating more of. So um, can I interrupt but, you there? Because I think yeah. that's that's what I struggle with. Because I think as a carb lover, like pasta truly does make me feel good, but I know it may not be the best thing for me. So how do you really differentiate between what feels good or comfort foods? It's an interesting thing that you're bringing up pasta because some of it boils down to DNA and like how your body metabolizes food. So for example, I don't really eat much gluten at all. I would say I'm pretty much 90% no gluten and I found like the like the best comps and that is because of my culinary background. Like I'm not just eating gluten-free because like I don't have I like I could not eat gluten, but I'm not celiac just to clarify, but yeah. I just don't like how gluten makes me feel. Like when I eat gluten, I feel more swollen and sluggish, mm. even if I like the way it tastes in my mouth and I like how it smells and cooking it when it's inside and it's being digested, it's a slowdown. And I don't like that feeling. It feels heavy in my system. So I think it's this idea of like, that's how my body feels. Some people might eat gluten and feel totally fine because their body doesn't have that response to it. So I think it's that feeling of what smells good, what tastes good in your mouth is like one part of the story. But the the assessment of what feels good is like when it's digesting and when you go to sleep and when you, you know, have a poop, what's that experience like? Does that make sense? Like when I... Yeah. When I overdo gluten, I might be like, oh, this bread is like so good and this butter and I'm like loving this. And then I'm like, all right, like this is really coming through pretty slow and pretty strong. And then when I have a poop, I'm like, geez, I wish I had made maybe a little bit of a different decision. So maybe that kind of clears it up a little bit in terms of like feeling good and actually noticing that it's good in your body. But in terms of things to eat, I I'm a big fan of omnivore eating. I don't believe in diet culture. It's like really disturbing to me. I think that it's all about moderation and learning to use your intuition and being able to self-assess what feels good. And I also really understand that that ability to self-assess does not come naturally to a lot of people. And so it it is learning to just develop that skill and not to push anyone in a kind of rigid direction, but because we have so much time right now, more time than usual, I feel more comfortable recommending the idea of just keeping a food journal that really is just logging how tastes feel, what your bowel movements are like, logging how you feel before and after a meal and tracking like the comfortability and regularness of your bowel movements, you know, for a week is not about diet culture. That's just about 
inventory and understanding to help you kind of attune and make a few different choices if you need to. I kind of like every time I look at my plate, I'm always like, okay, is there, you know, some kind of green or vegetable here? Is there some kind of fiber here? Is there some kind of protein here? And is there some kind of fat here? That's usually what I'm doing when I'm looking at my plate. And then if that's happening, I'm good. That's, that's usually kind of the way that, you know, I approach it. One of the other thing I've been trying to do now, especially in the winter time, is eating before it gets dark, like having my dinner pretty early so that I can get to bed a little bit more smoothly and my body's not like working so hard to digest food at the end of the day. That's actually the other piece around food and what you should be eating. I think a lot of people don't think about like the times in which they're eating their food. This, that's why this idea of intermittent fasting, which is not something that I do, but there's a component of it that makes sense in, in the sense that when you are digesting food, it's work for your body. So just figuring out like, what are the best work times, you know? Mm-hmm. And for most people, the best work times for digestion for food is when the sun's still out. So just like in terms of your cycle and seasons, really thinking about like trying to get all the biggest meals in before the sun goes down. And then, you know, when you think about your menstrual cycle, you have like the pre-ovulatory component, which is when you're bleeding and right after your period and before you ovulate, and then you have the post-ovulatory phase, which is when you ovulate and after moving into your luteal phase. If you're thinking about how you're consuming food in those phases, pre-ovulatory, you have a lot of energy and your digestive system is working faster because you have more estradiol, which is like a kind of estrogen that just like makes things really go. So, you know, a hamburger, if that's your vibe, love a hamburger. If you eat a hamburger pre-ovulatory, it's just going to like fly through the system. You know, you can have a big lunch and you're like, I feel great. Like no problems. Even when you're bleeding, similar thing, like your body's got a little bit more capability, especially if there's more prostaglandins in your system, which is why people have period poops. So like, if you've ever noticed, like, right when you're getting that first day of your period, like you're bleeding, but you're also like a little bit more time in the bathroom because there's more pooping happening. Um, So eating heavier when you're bleeding just moves through your body a lot quicker and easier. But post-ovulatory, after you ovulate, you get a lot more progesterone in your in your system. So your digestive system kind of slows down pretty considerably. So like, that's why it's nice to kind of play with your foods pre-ovulatory and post-ovulatory. So it is nicer to go a little lighter after you ovulate, or if you don't go lighter, if you still want to be heavy, make the food smooth. Like I love to get into like a ketchari, which is like an Indian version of a rice porridge or congee. That's another version of it. I love those rice porridges in my like late luteal phase, like right before I get my period. Cause anything that's soft and already kind of halfway broken down, is just going to flow versus like, even though you actually crave that hamburger and that pasta and that like more intense carbohydrate heavy food, when you're in that luteal phase, my suggestion is like, go for it, but just go for a version of that. So for example, like I would do, you know, a pasta that's pretty oily as opposed to a pasta that's really creamy. If I was in my post-ovulatory phase, like an Anglio Olio broccoli pasta would be like really great, which is like a big, big go-to for me versus like an Alfredo because your body is going to do a better job breaking down greens with a bunch of oil 
than dairy with like bacon and gluten all at once. Right, so right. anyway, I, I, I can go so narrow and deep. So you, you can just like pull, you gotta, you gotta literally could spend this entire podcast episode talking about food. I had gestational diabetes while I was pregnant, which was like a whole oh, thing. Yeah. I have like sugar of addiction course. issues, but then even just as you're talking now about phases and where you're at, like I haven't had my period since Mavi's been born. I don't, I don't, what phase am I in? Like, I don't even, yeah, I honestly you're, don't you're, even know when my period will come back. Your period won't come back until you stop breastfeeding. Oh, and, I didn't even uh, know that. Okay. And, yeah. So pretty much, and I, let me calibrate that statement and say that if you are exclusively breastfeeding and potentially co-sleeping or bed sharing, not, not really using, but baby's pretty nearby, he's, obviously. He's yeah. So well, it's always never, somewhere. Never, never <laughs> far. Yes. Yeah. So, but in the sense that even if he's in his own room, the idea is, you know, exclusive breastfeeding with pretty minimal bottle opportunities uh, and pretty minimal pacifier usage will keep you from ovulating because of the levels of prolactin and oxytocin that are in your system as a result of keeping that breastfeeding going. So as soon as you, like, as soon as you start to use bottles more or he starts to move into soft foods or starts to incorporate another type of, um, there's another nutritional source and the time at the breath starts to dwindle, then you think your cycle starts to come back. But if that's not in the immediate first couple, no, next couple months, you should. Yeah. I don't miss it. I don't miss it, to be honest. It's fine. Most people don't. That's why menopause is like a total vibe and people should be yeah. talking about it more because it's like when it's gone, you're just like, never again. I know. <laughs> like, I can't wait, honestly. This is great. Can't yeah. Wait. You talk about the fact that a lot of women are operating at a deficit in terms of knowledge about their bodies, which really resonated with me. And then you also talk about how kind of patriarchy permeates everything that we talk about and think about in terms of women's bodies. And just a very short story. I had the Mirena. Are you familiar with the Mirena IUD? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had it put in, I think I was like around like 21 at the time. And it was giving me really bad cramping. And at this point I had moved from New York to London. And I told my doctor in New York, you know, six weeks later, I'm still having really bad cramping. And she said, oh, it's normal. A lot of people have really bad cramping. I moved to London. I started seeing an OBGYN there. I told him I'm having really bad cramping. It's fine. Cramping happens. It was, it was going on maybe three or four months where I just had consistent cramping. And it was to the point where I was like begging to get this IUD mm. taken out of me. And they were like, mm. give it half a year and see if the cramping doesn't stop. And it was just very, it was, it was kind of the first time where I really understood what people meant when they said that like some people don't listen to women when they're talking about their own bodies. And it was just so surreal to have this, you know, male doctor give it more time or cramping is normal. And I was like, why am I suffering um, with this IUD in me? And, and to your point about a lot of women operating at a deficit of knowledge about their own bodies, I didn't know why I was having the cramping. I didn't completely understand the biology of it, but I just knew that something about it didn't work for me. And Marina works great for lots of women. IUDs are great for lots of, but for me, it was not agreeing with my body. And I had to, I mean, I really had to push and just say, great, I don't care. I just like want it out of me. I'm just curious what experiences you've had that have allowed you to see one, how women are operating at this knowledge deficit and two, how patriarchy influences these you know, interactions we have with healthcare professionals. 
It's interesting. I mean, it just happened in the conversation that you and I are having right now a couple minutes ago when you were asking about your period. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, honey, it's not coming back until you, you know, you right. slow down on the breastfeeding. I didn't like, know. To me, yeah, exactly. And that's, but that's what I mean. It's just like, you should know that. That should right. just be base information so that right. you're just like, you're not sitting there thinking, hmm, I wonder when. It's like, no, right. here's when. And also, here's how to keep it away if you want to. That's right. the other thing, too. It's like, how can we help you from like a biohacking perspective if like you're thinking about weaning? But if I'm like advertisement, give you want to not bleed for another three months, we can do this. So there's so many ways of looking at it in that the patriarchal component is like women don't need to know things. Here's the limited scope that you need to know about your bodies because in the past we were property, we were owned, we were told when to, how to, and that here's, you know, your tiny little space and just occupy that space and please don't be too loud and please keep all fluids out of sight. And that's what it was. But I think now it's so important, especially in this hyper digital age that we're in to understand your body because never have we lived in a time like this where most of our interactions are through a screen and are digital mm -hmm. and we don't really understand like what that's doing to the brain yet and how the brain is adapting and when it comes to sexual and reproductive health it takes place in two key places. So there's like, you know, the meat, the actual anatomy, like your uterus and your vulva and your ovaries, which are in your abdomen and, you know, below your abdomen. But then there's also your pituitary gland or your HPA, your hypothalamus pituitary and adrenal access, like th that's in your brain. And so if you don't understand how your body works in this day and age, you really are on the back foot because we already have been so disconnected and this new age is so complex that original knowledge is going to help us be able to get through this time. So the way I like to explain it, like a great example of it is, okay, if you're on Zoom all day, because that's what you have to do right now, you know, hitting dark mode early and not getting all that blue light all the time is really important because it affects your melatonin, which affects your sleep. And when your sleep and melatonin are affected, it can affect your cycle, like not getting enough sleep, not getting the right quality of sleep. So it's just like that, that's the through line that I would like more women to be thinking about, not just blue light. I'm not sleeping well. No, it's blue light, not sleeping well cycle. <laughs> like you're, you're, ble you're, you're bleeding and ovulating actually specifically ovulating is a sign of your body's vital health. There's so many providers I've talked to recently, particularly um, a reproductive endocrinologist who we both felt deeply aligned that if you aren't ovulating, that is a reason for a full workup. Like what's going on? Because if that, yeah. if that, if that thing isn't going down, we need to know why, like something else in the body is tanking and we need to like find our way to that. But unfortunately in medicine with the patriarchal structure in which it's kind of come up in or grown up inside of, which is so, so, so fucked up because the reason why we have medicine is because people are having babies. Like the crucible of medicine is birth. So, right. so sad that like, the thing that brought it in is no longer 
centered in it. But the idea really now I think is the more we know about our bodies, the better we can take care of ourselves. And I think women are the backbone of our culture and our society. So if we're doing better, everyone else does better. And when it comes to Loom, that is the premise is I feel that education about your body is healthcare. And giving women that specific kind of healthcare allows them to have more agency in their life. And to, again, just going back to this idea of beauty, it's like, there's beauty in a deeper understanding of your body. And there are so many women that I know in my life that are super successful, very pedigreed, but have no idea how their body works. And I really want to change that. Like, I think that that is inherently problematic and not to say there's something bad or wrong that you don't know, like our culture designed it that way. And so when I would teach at Loom, when we were were still an in-person brick and mortar space, I would always say at the beginning of my pregnancy class or period class or sex class, I was like, if you hear things tonight for the first time and it makes you feel bad or shameful because you're like, why didn't I know that? Like, I know so much and I don't know that. Then I would always say, I really want you to be gentle on yourself and to have that feeling, but be curious about that feeling and also know that it was designed that way. And so tonight is like a step forward for you to begin that journey and to gently understand what else do I want to know? Because it's out there for you. Yeah, it's so interesting. I spend so much time talking on this podcast about how people need to understand their skin and learn what they're putting on their skin and not just buy something because someone says to buy it, but really understand and deeply kind of watch how your skin reacts to products. But I haven't actually spent as much time thinking about how your cycle and skin care can change things. And I know that obviously hormones have a huge influence on everything, but have you looked into how skincare routines should change depending on where you are in your cycle? Yeah, I think the best way to describe this would be going back to this pre-ovulatory, post-ovulatory component is that pre-ovulatory, you're probably going to see a significant reduction in inflammation in the skin, just in general, in terms of skin eruptions, things like that, you know, your acne, uh, if you experience that because of the cocktail of hormones that are kind of running the show in that time. But then post-ovulatory, there is a potential for more inflammation and more kind of stagnation. And so that's really where you're going to see more of the skin eruptions or acne or even like dryness, like you might notice it more in that post-ovulatory phase. So what I always say is that really the time to like double down on your like peel, your derm exfoliating vibes would be right before you're set to ovulate, maybe like two to three days before ovulation, during ovulation, which is about one to three days, and then maybe two to three days into the luteal phase. So like really sticking with your preventative techniques mid-cycle. I see. And luteal phase being when your period begins, like when the blood comes. So your luteal phase is right before you bleed. So pretty much you are bleeding, that's menstruation you stop bleeding, you move into the follicular phase, follicular phase for 10 to 12 days, then you 
go into the ovulatory phase, one to three days for most people. And then you go into your luteal phase, another 10 to 12 days. And then you go into your menstruation phase again and bleed. So really the go zone for like that, I got to kick up my protective exfoliant routine would be mid-cycle, like right at the tail end of the follicular phase throughout when you're ovulating right into the very beginning of the luteal phase. Like if you can do that, that'll probably help support whatever you're like, oh, like my period's two days away. My skin's doing this like thing that it does. Like if you do that mid-cycle focus, it. it probably will help deal with that issue if it's not something that's deeply hereditary or like acne vulgaris. Like if you have really bad acne, that's like a different thing altogether, but just like the annoying one or two friends that join you before you bleed, you can probably make them go away with that mid-cycle routine. Yes. You mentioned the fact that Loom will no longer be in person. It's going to be kind of an online experience. I know it's launching in winter 2021. We can't wait. What, like just, I know it's such a big, impressive project, but could you just give like a very quick overview of what we can expect from Loom once it's available to us? Yeah. So essentially my goal with Loom is to be the lifelong partner for women throughout their sexual reproductive health experiences. And right now, that foundational partnership is going to be through education. So the new site is essentially going to be an online education platform where you can take a class or two about or different, <laughs> all of I, them. I, I need all of the classes. <laughs> well, what's great actually, and I, I definitely want you to have access to our beta before we like publicly launch, but the first two classes and the first two subjects that we're launching with are pregnancy and postpartum. And we're always going to launch subjects in in a kind of coupled fashion because we really want to kind of educate about how these experiences overlap and 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 talk about kind of the space in between pregnancy and postpartum or the space in between fertility and birth control, like understanding those experiences. So we're going to have two classes and the one class is going to be about the third trimester. And then the second class, which is a postpartum class, is going to be about the very early postpartum experience. So zero to four weeks. So we're starting with pregnancy and postpartum because that's a lot of what I was known for when I was working in a doula capacity. And one of the kind of main things that Loom is known for, but our plan is to create education throughout the continuum because all of the things that we've been talking about, even in this conversation, can happen all in one person. You can have yes. a baby, you're having sex, you're bleeding, yes, you stop sex. bleeding eventually. It's about sex, yeah. You know? Sex is a big part of it as well, right? Yeah. So definitely we'll be we will have curriculum about sex, but it will be a little further along. Really, the focus in this early stage is going to be these new classes with pregnancy and postpartum to start. But there's actually a lot of sex content in the two classes because I really felt that it was important to center sex in the experience because over the years, I've just had so many conversations about it with pregnant people, new new moms, and having agency around your sexuality at whatever phase you're at is is so important, especially when you're going through something like pregnancy, when your body is just changing so much. I read that you open your Loom classes with the question that's, what's the single word you use to describe how you feel about sex? And I'm wondering how you would answer that. The first word that came up for me today, anyway, was 
pleasurable. And I think that's because of where I am in my cycle right now. Cause I'm actually in my luteal, my luteal phase and I'm about to get my period in like two or three or four days. Okay. So pleasurable feels like soft and good right now, but it changes depending on where I'm at. But I think sex is really fun. That's really my feeling about it. And even as a trauma survivor and a sexual abuse survivor, getting education around sex helped heal a lot of that for me. And again, that's not going to be everyone's story or everyone's journey, wanting to lean more deeply into the thing that felt kind of unsafe or not really uh, contained. You know, my nature oftentimes is if something feels really hard and really difficult, I want to understand it deeply so that I can make sense of it and not making sense of it in order to have ownership over it, but making sense of it in order to make sense of myself and and understand, is there like a better, softer way for me to interact with this experience? And so I do think that there is a piece about sex education that can be very healing and empowering. Yeah. Let's just go into your favorite beauty products. It could be hair, skin, makeup, body care, fragrance, but like, give me your top three favorite beauty products. Oh boy. Oh boy. This is hard because here's what I'll do to keep it simple because I actually don't have that many products, but I do know kind of exactly what I like when it comes to face. I am a Vintners and Caprice or Caprice girl. Okay. So I and love... Vi- speaking of Vintners, April loves you. Telling I love April. You. She's like, like, you have to know Erica. I'm like, I'm going to work. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> but I also feel like I like Vintners' daughter more because I like April so much. Yes, yes. And she's so particular as well. And so yes. if you know that that's, you know, that's the witch doing the stirring you're good. And also I'm deeply attracted to women that, well, I'm gay, but still, but I'm deeply attracted to women that make lines that are very simple. So when I see someone who's had a line for a couple of years and there's like two to three products, I'm here. I'm like, we're doing this because most beauty product or most beauty lines to scale, you need a certain number of SKUs. And there's this pressure to constantly iterate, innovate, improve, but I love a very tight numbers of products or SKUs. So I love Vintners. I love the oil. I love the essence. And actually the funny thing I was talking to April about, I don't know, like, I don't know, maybe it might even be like a year ago now. It's like, there's this very quiet, like black girl, like brigade that's very into Vintners that people like, she didn't actually even know that, but like, I would casually talk about Vintners to like other women, like, you know, Thailand and like, just women I, who I wouldn't even think were using. They're like, oh, I like vintners too. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Okay, so I think there's definitely like a like a skin drenching that it does. It just like kind of like meets the need, at least for me. But when I'm spending a lot of time in not super dry environments, it works really well. But, you know, I've been spending a lot more time in the desert lately, kind of going back and forth between LA and the desert I already said that. Um, and so when I got to the desert, my skin just needed a lot more. So I got introduced to Caprice. Also, like only about 10 products. And the thing about Chase Poland, who's the founder behind the line, is that 
she lives in a desert climate. And so the formulation of the product is very desert friendly. So mm. if you're in a very oh. dry environment I found or it. you're in a dry apartment. Yeah. Have very you seen it before? Very now that you're expensive. <laughs> it's on Netflix. It is not cheap. All the best stuff is, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I see this. There's, oh, wow. There's a rose beauty elixir that seems so up my alley. It's $230. Well, yeah, I see it. It's on net Okay. So yes, t- tell us more. So here's the thing about the, the products I'm talking about are, I'm going to come out straight and say, yes, they are expensive. But here's the thing about expensive products. In terms of for me, I have kind of always gravitated towards expensive products because my skin is so sensitive. And so I can't really do like plastic-based or synthetic fragrances. It's usually either like essential oil-based or nothing. Mm -hmm. And most kind of like drugstore formulations of things irritate my skin. And so I've, you know, I grew up with a lot of eczema and a lot of sensitivity. So trying to find things that are pretty clean is kind of like a baseline for me. But the interesting thing now, especially is when you go clean and you go a little bit more expensive, these products last for a long time. Yes, they do. I'm replenishing so infrequently and they're high performance products. So especially now when you don't get any kind of skin treatments anymore, it's just like spending a little bit more money on your beauty products. If you have a little bit more money to spare, can be an option maybe for some people now. But um, yeah, so I will just stand behind, yes, it's expensive, but like that's just an area of my life that I've always had to spend a little bit more to find the things that I need. So I'm pretty conditioned to like pay a little bit more because my skin's not okay with things that are like not made with kind of care and whatnot. So in terms of the line, in terms of Caprice and what's there, the things that I really love are that rose oil, but there's three different kinds. The one that I love is the number one formulation that's for like hydration and balance. And then Chase makes a face mask called Cerulean, which is also one of my favorite words. I just think it's such a great word. It was actually my like when I was on OkCupid back in like the early days when it was still in beta, like my screen name was Steamy Cerulean, like just ignore <laughs> that. It. But like, it's a, very, it's a very specific shade of blue. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like, I love the way it sounds. So the actual mask is a specific shade of blue and it's really hydrating. And I like to use the mask and mix it with a bit of the rose oil and put it on before mm. I go to sleep. I and it's a really great, really, it feels amazing on, and it's a really nice overnight mask. So those two products from that line, along with the kind of moisturizer, the daily moisturizer called the Puff of Love. So the oil and the Puff of Love in the morning and evening, and then switching out for the cerulean mask when I feel like I need a little bit of extra moisture. And then her body oil, the body elixir is just so delicious. It's this neroli forward oh, body say oil. No more. Say Girl, no more. Just, I love we're gonna it I is just neroli. like so good and so soothing. Yeah. And because the product is formulated in a really dry climate, it's such a rich oil. I and interestingly, the the bottle doesn't have a dropper capacity for the body oil. It's just open. And I remember when I got it for the first time, I was just, just like, ooh, like 
I don't know what's happening here. Like, what if I just, I'm going to use this whole thing in like two seconds, but because it's so rich, you just take a tiny little dollop and you just like move it around. But I also have a certain thing where I take my shower and then like my mom taught me, <laughs> used to be Vaseline, but now it's body elixir. Like as soon as I'm done with my yeah. shower and I'm still wet, I just like lather and Love. put all of my, slat, slather my oil on. Okay. Um, Can I give you a little... So the small tip that I've learned with body oils. Well, one just Please. Back, one just to go back to this formulation. So I make my own body oil. So I'm like super, super like discerning when it comes to body oils. But this one has a base of sunflower seed oil, which is super moisturizing. Moringa oil, which is amazing. Yes. It also has tamanu seed oil, which is like very rare and a lot, a lot of people use, but that's like so good and hydrating for the skin. It has prickly pear. And then, like you said, the neroli, this like looks like an incredible formulation. But the one thing I've been doing with body oil, which is a game changer, is I've been keeping it in my shower. So I keep my body oil in my shower. So while I'm still wet in the shower, I do my full body oil. Then I come out, towel, done. I just so let me oil in the shower. So let me tell you, you and I are of the same tribe because... <laughs> My, I have a little shelf that's inside my shower where this lives, but it's like an inside and outside shelf. So it's not all the way in the shower, but it's a part of the shower. So I'm still wet, haven't left the shower. I reach over to my oil yes. and I put it on. So we are aligned. That is yes. my, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're sharing that tip because other people need to know, like, bring Stamp it with skin. you. Stamp skin. Yeah. Oil. Stamp skin. The way to go. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, agreed. And you, I feel like you're known for your red lip. What's your go-to lipstick? So my lipstick, funnily enough, is not, it's okay. That's not true. On the one hand, I love Kosas. Love Kosas. And I love Kosas. What color is it that I like? I'm so bad at remembering the name right now, but they're kind of like probably bluest red, whatever their bluest red is. That would be the one. Sorry, I didn't have that off the top of my head. But then I also really love Sunny's face, which is not a clean lip in terms okay. of it's, makeup, you know. Makeup, sometimes you have to make exceptions. I love a Pat McGrath. I love NARS. Sometimes you have to. Shoot. Yeah, exactly. But Sunny's face is a Filipino makeup brand. And what I love about it is the color formulations were done for women that are going to have more melanin in their skins in their skin. So I think that their their color palette is really strong. And so I love mood from Sunny's face. Okay. And that's that's actually what I'm wearing right now. It's a good matte like red. This is a very hot topic. What's your sunscreen of choice? So here's the thing. I would like to try more sunscreens. I know there are all, all there are also a few black owned sunscreen brands that are out there right now. So I just need to like make the time to buy and try. But right now, the two sunscreens that I kind of go between is what is the name of this brand right now? It's like the end of the day. My brain is just not totally firing as fast, but it's super good. Uh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. I'm a super yeah, good girl as well. Love. I know. It's just like, what can I do about it? I know it's not like the cleanest one, but I'm just like that invisible you know, that w- whatever sunscreen. the, the yes, I mean, it's, it's just, and it's it like crap. It's pretty just, clean. It is pretty clean. It's cleaner than most. Yeah. And the thing for me, especially coming from like a health field, I'm all about compliance. Like, mm-hmm. are you going to put this on? Doesn't matter how good it smells or it's like, does it feel good on your skin and will you do it? And what I noticed with the unseen is I just was like, just yeah. like squeezing it into my hand taking it with me everywhere. Like right. it's the right size and it's the right 
feel. So yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love that one. Well, this next question, I feel like um, I'm so interested to know your answer because I feel like you probably haven't made a lot of beauty mistakes in your life. But I always ask people looking back on your like history with beauty and experimenting with looks and maybe treatments you've done, like, do you have any like beauty mistakes or regrets or things that you feel like I wish I had known better then? Yeah, I wish I hadn't relaxed my hair all those years. You know, I wish I had done a different thing or had had different hairstyles modeled to me as like more positive because even in Africa there's such a strong wig culture and extension culture Mm -hmm. and I don't have any shame or like ooh that was bad it's more just I wish I had been told that like the way I have my hair now was also possible and you would be really comfortable and I just didn't get I didn't get a lot of consistent modeling around that. So that's what I would say. Yeah, definitely just the would have skipped out on years of relaxer because it just it like never liked the smell. It always burnt my scalp. It was just like, why all are we doing si- this? All of the signs are there telling our body like we don't like this. Like you're if your scalp is tingling <laughs> yeah. and burning, it's like maybe this is not like the move. Yeah. Yeah, but you remember like I don't know if you like if you ever um you know relaxed your hair growing up, but like they'd be like, okay. Yeah, so it's I, to burn. I don't it's know if working. you remember. Yes, <laughs> it's working. Exactly. It's doing what it needs to do. And sometimes, so they would give you like something to like hold, or just be like, give it a couple more minutes, just like squeeze on this thing. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. You know. I know. When you really, really think about it, it's actually like <laughs> deeply troubling to learn that association that like you yes. have to suffer pain to change the natural texture of your hair so that it looks better. I mean, it's like very deep. Very, very deep. Yes, yes. Well, how has the pandemic changed the way that you approach beauty? I, I see that you're doing lots of stuff upside down. You're doing inversion therapy, which I love. Um, <laughs> yeah. Such a luxury. I feel like I wish I could do that in my apartment. But how, how has your approach to self-care and beauty changed? You know, honestly, it hasn't really changed that much because I'm a pretty ritualistic, minimal person. So, you know, don't wear a lot of makeup you know, when I do, I actually kept it, you know, very simple. Like Kyger Weiss is actually like my go-to makeup. Love her. Love, love. the packaging and how sustainable it is, but also the pigmentation on dark skin. And it's actually, I learned about the line from a black woman. She was like, best cream blush. Best cream blush, best foundation. And also like the sensation of holding those products is so beautiful because the actual compartment it's in is like heavy and weighted and it mm. clicks when you open it. It's just Love like it. everything about it is so sensory and delicious. So I would do that a little bit. And sometimes I find I probably wear makeup like once every like two weeks now. And it's, if I'm going to do something recorded on zoom and I'm just like, let's cover up a little bit of this hyperpigmentation that's happening today. But you know, other than that, it's like, it's kind of the same. I, I didn't really do that much. I will, one thing I will share because I feel like it's important to just like share this is I did microblading on my eyebrows oh, I, and I am microbladed. It's, girl, you and I, we are on the same vibe. I'm same very page. into what, <laughs> but it's a game changer. Game changer. Game changer. Honey? Yes. Yeah. And like, shout out to Christy Stryker, who is, you know, my woman. Okay. Um, is this in LA? And we have, this is in LA. Yeah. So she does a technique called the feathered brow. She used to be like the eyebrow queen. And now she is, she also, you know, does eyebrows with actually like the plucking was her whole thing. And then she developed like her own very like micro stroke yeah. technique it looks with so, uh, it just looks so natural. 
That's her. I would have never known. Yeah. And I'm sharing it because it's just like, it's fine. You know, like, I don't really care. I'm not like vain in that sense of like, well, no one should know that I did it. It's like, no, it's, it's, I did it. And I found someone really, really good. And now I never think about my eyebrows and it's awesome (laughs) because so that, so to the point about has my routine changed that much? Not really because everything I usually do is very efficient. I'm like, well, this reduced time of me having to be in the mirror, let's go for it. But I will say I've upped, I've kind of upped my bath routine. I take a lot of baths. Love very, that. very into that. Okay. Um, what do you add into the usually, bath water? Well, see how we're going to put this. Because to be perfectly honest, my bath routine is more flames than my any other routine in my life. <laughs> like, really? That's, okay. Yeah. Tell like us my more, bathtub. please. <laughs> so like on the really inexpensive side when it comes to taking baths, something I've done since high school is use this Mr. Singa's mustard bath blend. So it's got like a wintergreen and um, turmeric, you know, and uh, Epsom salts. It's like very, very like camphorous and it helps you to relax and like soothe muscles. So love that mustard bath. And it's like, I don't know, like six to $12. And you just like take a little bit out of the tin and like put it in. Nice. Um, it's really great really great for winter. And then, you know, I'm really into Epsom salts, but really into magnesium in general and a particular kind of Epsom salts or magnesium flakes. So these flakes called, there's this brand called Ancient Minerals and they sell massive bags of magnesium flakes. And I, you know, kind of like worship at the temple of those. And so sometimes I'll do one or two cups, but if I'm really struggling and feeling super overwhelmed and anxious i'll just throw a whole bag a whole five pound bag into the bath and like (laughs) in we go and we just sit for a good 20 to 30 minutes and then like on the more like luxurious end of the bath spectrum there's two cbd baths that i really love particularly there's a brand called vertly which makes this like lemongrass cbd bath soak that is just like so good like really particularly good sorry to Love interrupt it. you do you believe in like the cbd equals more relaxation and calming because i i i buy into it i have products that have cbd in it but i don't know if the cbd is actually doing anything again it depends on the spectrum of it and the quality of it i think if you're buying products with cbd you you kind of want the price point at, at this stage of the game, because it's not ubiquitous yet, really, to be a little higher. And you actually want to know the trail of like, you want the brand to be pretty forward about like where they're getting their hemp from and all of that, because otherwise you could be exposing yourself to like unnecessary pesticides and things like that because of how cannabis is farmed. But I do believe that it can aid with relaxation, muscle relaxation, like the endocannabinoid system, meaning just how, where the cannabinoid receptor sites are in your body, the availability for it. You know, the skin is not a bad place for that, for those receptor sites. So there's a lot of them on your skin. So I think baths are such a great way to develop a relationship with CBD. If you're very nervous about ingesting it or, you know, I think topical products are a great start. So I love bathing in it and I love the heat to help it kind of really move in. And, um, So Vertly is one brand and the other brand is Nature of Things, who I really, really love. I also love how sustainable their packaging is. Like even when you're done with the flower bath that they make, which is actually a milk bath in terms of it's it's vegan, but it's like 
it's a colloidal. So you like you put it into the bathtub and then it makes the whole bath milky. Just mm. love it so much. And it's got good. like a, a like a pretty strong plumeria jasmine nose to it. So it's very tropical feeling. It's like just the whole thing. And it's this like kind of stone bottle. I just think for me, <laughs> clearly, as you can hear, like things that are weighty that I get are it. like it adds to are, the experience. Like, it really it does. does. It does. You know? Yeah. 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 So the, the, that those would be my bath friends. Okay. Um, okay. From like least expensive to most indulgent. Okay. Does your husband share your passion for baths? Well, you know, interestingly, so it's my ex-husband. Ex-husband. And when okay, we, sorry. when no, don't be sorry. It's okay. Cause I think at some point I, I talked about um, being gay. So I, I think that will help like clarify. Yeah. I've been pretty open. I'm super open about our separation and divorce and he's the most amazing person and we're still super close. Yeah. He actually is not a big fan of baths. I remember okay. when we would take baths together, he'd just be like, oh, okay, I want to get in and out. He'd come in to hang out with me and then be like, I'm good. But like I, when I get in the bath, want to be in there. Like I'm not running a bath if I can't be in for a minimum of an hour. If we can't get there, then it's just not going to, it's not the right time. Like I'll wait until I can have like a good long stretch. Cause I'll like listen to music in the bath or podcasts. I'll read. It's also a good activity to do with a partner. Yes. If your partner's down for bath, like exactly. sometimes. Exactly. Which is yeah. why I asked. Like, what about you? Does your... Is your um, does your husband like baths? No, and even when we try to shower together, <laughs> he thinks that the temperature that I shower at is too hot. He'll be That's like, what, I mean too. I love a hot shower. He'll be like, "What is?" He's like, "What is your skin? Are you a reptile? Why is it so hot? <laughs> like this? Is what?" And then he'll turn it down, and I'm like, "It's so tepid and like lukewarm." I'm like, "This isn't a shower for me." So we can't even shout. We can't. We're not on the same page. That's all good. Me and the same page, other places. Okay. But I'm with you. I, a lukewarm shower is is torture. I'm just like, what is what is this? Yeah, I know, agreed. I know. Okay, final question for you. I could I could literally talk to you for hours longer, and there are like <laughs> so many things that I just know you have so much knowledge. But that's also why we're all going to sign up for Loom and like get the knowledge directly from you. Get on the get on that wait list because it's yes. all coming down the pike. <laughs> I know. Is the wait list really long already? Yeah, it's like pretty good. It's funny. We're not even on social or anything right now, but I just think that people are really excited about it. So there's this, Wait, you know, you are on social. I feel like there's an Instagram account with a single post with already like more followers than most people have. <laughs> yes. So that's the Loom account because we, you know, we did a little bit of a take it all down, add a little bit of a mystery to the... Yes the relaunch that's coming. But um, but yeah, we had a really beautiful community there before and really excited to bring that back. And there's some really fun directions that we're taking things because people really connected to the brand, you know, given the fact that we were only a brick and mortar with a limited amount of space and it's not something that everyone could experience. But I think the way that we were sharing information on social became kind of like a reference book for people when they needed to like, figure out something about pregnancy or breastfeeding or periods or birth control. And so I'm really excited to bring that encyclopedia back. So even if you don't get to the platform immediately, there'll be a lot of good information coming through through our social account. Okay. So my last question for you is when do you feel most beautiful? In the bath. (laughs) Truly. It's my spot. I get to really connect with my body 
and just slow down in this very specific way. And so whenever I can get in and that's why I take so many baths a week, it's just, it helps me like find myself. I texted you this, but I reading nurture after the fact, I was like really upset as I was reading (laughs) I read what to expect when you're expecting instead, because no one told me about nurture. And now that I know about it, I've told my pregnant friends to pass it on. But I think you're just such an amazing resource and such an important voice for care. So I'm just really excited to have been able to connect with you. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to just know you more. I feel like we have so much convergence in the things that we like and are interested in. So hopefully this is the beginning of many. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Totally. Thank you so much. hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Erica as much as I enjoyed talking to her. And as promised, we are going to get into today's beauty question before the episode wraps. Okay, this question is from Jasmine. I think it's okay if I say her name because I told her I was going to read her question on air. If you guys want your questions to be anonymous, I will always, always protect your anonymity. So anyway, this is from Jasmine. First off, Baby Mavi is adorable. Congrats. Thank you for that. I just discovered your podcast in December 2020, and I'm hooked. Thank you for that as well. I live in California, right near San Francisco Airport. Wow, I've been to SFO so many times. Okay, here's the question. I'm transitioning from Brazilian blowout slash relaxed hair since July 2020. It's been a challenge to say the least. I have a mixed background, Creole, and my hair type is 3B, 4A, I think. At any rate, I'm hanging on as I know natural is the ideal state for my hair to thrive. But to keep it a buck or two Virgils, that's funny, this shit is mad hard. Detangling is proving difficult. Any magic tricks in the naked beauty realm, holler at your girl. Thank you, Jasmine. Okay, Jasmine, I so feel for you and it is not easy. Like I have said so many times, the way that I got into natural beauty was through my hair. I just didn't know what to do with my hair when I went natural. I was like buying all these products. Nothing was working. Then I started like mixing all these products at home, starting to figure out different remedies. That's when I started researching about different oils and what they did and understanding the composition of different... I mean, figuring out my natural hair took hours and weeks and years to really get right. Caring for your natural hair is not something that just happens intuitively and overnight. It actually takes a lot of time and energy. And I think it's interesting. People will say, go natural. You'll spend so, you'll spend so much less time at salons. Yes, that's true. But you're, you're going to spend a lot of time in your bathroom, in your shower, figuring it out. Trial and error is part of the game when you are figuring out how to care for your natural hair. So I don't want to minimize that and tell you that there are any magic tricks or shortcuts. But what I can tell you 
is that detangling gets really complicated because you're basically dealing with two hair textures on your head. Now, it says here that you think you are 3B or 4A. Honestly, those hair typing things are really hard to figure out, but it sounds like you've got some kind of curly, kinky hair. But where you've chemically straightened it, you're going to have straight hair. And where those two textures meet, oftentimes there's breakage and a lot of times it can cause tangling. So these are my three big tips for detangling. The very first thing, I think you know this, but I'm just going to say it. You want to always make sure you're detangling on damp hair. Sometimes your hair can dry really quickly when you get out of the shower. Even keep a shower cap on. Like I'll put a shower cap on the areas of my hair that I want to keep moist and just detangle in sections and only take out the section that I'm ready to detangle out of the shower cap when I'm ready for it. Or what you can do is when you're detangling, if it takes a while and you're working section by section, keep a spritz bottle, like keep a spray bottle with water and a little tiny bit of conditioner in it to re-spritz your hair and introduce that moisture back before you go to detangle it. So that's tip number one, just making sure you're always detangling on damp hair. Tip number two, get a really great wide tooth comb. Now, when I was First, first going natural and figuring out what comes work for me, I got the Tangle Teaser. The way it fits in your hand is super easy. This was the original. This was like a few years back. There may be better wide tooth combs now or combs that are specifically formulated for textured hair. But I think getting a really good comb makes a huge difference. Now, it's interesting. I used to use a kind of detangler. Now I just detangle with my fingers. And I found that I have the least amount of breakage when I detangle with my fingers because you're not using a device that's kind of pulling or yanking your hair. Whatever you do, if you are going to use some sort of tool to detangle your hair, make sure it's been created with textured hair in mind. And last but not least, my absolute favorite holy grail will buy forever until the end of time hair product is kinky curly not today leave-in conditioner not today k-n-o-t not today it is so good for detangling your hair it has marshmallow root in it and it has amazing slip and it just makes tangles melt away it is so good. I very rarely tell people like, if you're dealing with hair issues, you have to buy something because everyone's hair is different and what works for me doesn't work for you. But this is one of those products where I honestly could recommend it to absolutely everyone. And it's sold relatively widely. So you should be able to find it, especially in San Francisco. I know you can find it in San Francisco. So Kinky curly knot today, keep your hair damp as you detangle and get a nice detangling comb. I hope those tips were helpful for you. Oh, and don't forget, once your hair is detangled, try to like, you know, twist it back into sections so you're not just like going to bed with your hair all like out. You want to detangle and then put it into different sections, like a couple of loose twists or braids. Thank you guys. I love seeing the beauty questions. Keep them coming. Send me your beauty questions, nakedbeautypodcast at gmail.com. And please make sure to put into the subject that you've got a beauty question. You can make your subject line question, beauty cue, beauty question. I am here to help. I will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>